ברוכים הבאים בשם השם, ברכנו כאן מבייס השם, Welcome to our weekly Wednesday night shir. We'd like to extend a happy belated birthday to our dear listener, friend, who I let down, I did not get a cake to him. <laughs> we were discussing, I, I, I actually spoke to somebody in, in Georgia, and um, they said they're a little far. I can actually give you the conversation per se, word for word, verbatim, actually. Um, uh, when I find it. And then we try to get from Florida. It also doesn't go. So I guess we figured out one thing we, did, we deduce. That there's a kosher bakery necessary in Atlanta, Georgia. Um... Uh, so besides Publix or Kroger, okay, see, I got the names, couldn't really figure out, they were relatively new there, she couldn't figure out how far you are either, anyway, we're recording here please. But happy birthday, and and um, you should have a lot of nachas from your children, and um, all the people should understand what a reckoning means. Considering a person that works for, not he's not an accountant actually, but he wants to, we know that he uh, keeps track of what we do expenses wise. Um... Pirkei Avis this week, actually. We'll jump to Pirkei Avis this week. is Perik Shlishni. This is not actually the Mishnah I was going to talk about. But the Mishnah Perik starts off. Estakel b'shleisha devarim. Kavi b'malal. Leimer Kavi b'malal says. Estakel b'shleisha devarim. Veda t'bolidea veda. Look into three things, and you cannot come out to sin. You will not come out to sin. Pirkei Avais is a Mishnayis for Milsa the Chasidusa. Milsa the Chasidusa. Words of Chasidus, actually. It takes the person and tells them to live, not just how to live in the regular world, but to live like a chosid has to live. And chosid, one of the missions say. That an amaretz, an ignoramus, cannot be a chosid. Because, <coughs> because a chosid does mitzvahs lefnimishudas adin, Greater than the actual din, more than the obligation of the person, and if a person doesn't know how the obligations of the person have to work, and how the actual mitzvah has to be done, they can never be a chassid. Sorry. 
So the person learning Pirkeiavis, looking to improve on his quality of life, looking to improve on his way that he does mitzvahs, and looks at Tata and looks at a fellow Jew, is a little bit knowledgeable. It's not, you don't usually have the average ignoramus sitting and learning this. Knowledgeable at least to the extent that if I tell you three things, you'll know there are three things. When I tell you we're learning Perik Shlishi, you know it's the third Perik. <coughs> His point that he wants to tell us is know where we come from, to where we're going, and before whom we have to give reckoning. Why tell us before, as an introduction, Look at three things. Let the reader hear you out. I mean, there are many Tanoim that quote more than one idea, more than one thought. Nobody tells, them, tells you beforehand how many thoughts they're about to tell you, how many ideas they're about to give you to tell you how to be a better person. Why is Akavya Bemalal add the words Istakel Bishlesha Devarim Veda? Look at three things and you will not come out to sin, and then enumerate the three things on a separate basis. And if he's enumerating it, he should say, The first one is Mayan Basa, the second one is Lonata Hilech, and the third one is Vemiat also Dithin why does he have to tell us to begin with? If he's telling us to begin with the stack of the he should tell us what the three things are. Your first one is, second one is, your third thing is. In, so in being that he does not do that, there's no continuity between the beginning, the statement, the stack of the and the three things that he enumerates. In that case, we have to see. What is his actual message here? What is he telling us by telling us first, Histakel Bishlesha Devarim? So when you work in the IRS, you have in more than three things. You look into each and every concept, each and every nook and cranny in each and every corner. Here too, Akavi Malal says, Now, I have four messages for you. Aside for Dame Mayim Bosa, Lonata Heleich, I have a fourth message. Look into the three things. And by looking into these things, you will not come to sin. What are the three things? A person wakes up in the morning... And they say, And as some people would say, I wake up in the morning, it's me and my Creator. It's me and the Almighty God. My day I go through, me and the Almighty God. Everything is the hand of God. Baruch Hashem, Mietz Hashem. Everything I thank God, I bless God for everything that goes on throughout the course of my day. I think Imam Brachas tells us also, 
just like a person makes a blessing for good that happens, if God forbid the other way it goes, if something happens, not good. A person also has to thank God, has to praise God for it. No. If that's the case, I live, me and God, all day long. Anything wrong with that? No. I would think that, I would imagine, the person who lives such a way, is the perfect person. Tells us Akavya ben Malalel. Histakel bishloisha devarim. Yes, you are one. Yes, God is two, or the opposite. God is one and you are two. There is also a world. There is other creatures, other creations around you. As long as istakel bishleisha devarim, and you are aware of your friend and your neighbor, you are aware of your surroundings. You know the three-dimensional world, three-dimensional creation, yourself, God, and the world. Then you will never come to sin because you know that I have to respect, or as we say in my house, live and let live. I have to do mine, and I have to let and respect others that do theirs. I have to exist, and I have to allow others to coexist with me. I cannot just be a haughty person that says, it's me and God, it's all about me and God, and nothing else and no one else. Remember the third issue, the third concept, which is the world. You know, we talk about the simple Jew. Blind faith, as we would have it. And it's a meridic thing, blind faith. Because blind faith keeps us going, really. Um, The story has it, of a simple Jew that lived on the outskirts of Yerushalayim, Mirakadish, many, many years ago, before global warming, and he knew how to read, but that was the extent of it. He could put Aleph in the base, and he could put the Nikudas together, and he make a word out of it, but he would not know what to read, what when, what Shachris was, what Mincha was, Maida was. It was all one big blur to him. But he didn't really live in a, in a local locality. So he would have to go to Yerushalayim, to the Rav, and ask the Rav, Vos zakt min shachlis, what do we say shachlis? What do we do mincha? What do we do mairev? And the Rav was very patient, Baruch Hashem, as all the Rabbanim should be. And the Rav took time and papers and markers, and he marked the fellow Sidorov. This is what you say for Shachris, this is what you say for Mincha, this is what you say for Maidiv. It was a little bit of a journey to Yushalayim for the fellow, so he would mark off a whole week's worth through Shabbos. And if it was Yomtiv, the fellow would come for Yomtiv to the Rav and stay there because there was no way he could mark that off. It would be too complicated. No. Ba'ayim. And it came the rainy seasons. 
And the rainy seasons, it was very difficult to travel. The roads were muddy. It was hard. So the Rav would knock off three, four weeks for the fellow. And the fellow was gliklach. Usually, this was done for starting Cheshven. Because after Sukkot is when the rain starts to fall. <coughs> no, the fellow came right after Sukkot. He was there after Sukkot. The Rav marked off for a month. And he went home. Came a week and a half, two weeks later. He missed the Rav. The roads were clear. Obviously there was no rain. So the fellow decided to surprise the Rav with a visit. And he comes into the town. The town is closed. Everything. The stores. Nobody's on the streets. He goes, Oya Brach. I must have miscalculated. And it must be Shabbos. It must be Shabbos. Stores are closed. Nobody's... How did I do this? He immediately emptied out everything in his pockets into his wagon. He jumped out of his wagon. And he went running to Shul. And he opens the Shul door and lo and behold, the Shul is packed to the hills. He says, Oi, it's Taka Shabbos. Oi, the Bainish, what have I done? And he couldn't take it. He ran straight to the front of the Shul. He sat on one knee in front of the Rav. He says, Rebbe, Rebbe, I made such a grave mistake, grave, grave error. I cooked this morning and I traveled here. I had money in my pocket, I had things. I, I desecrated, I was Mechal Shabbos, help me. But he didn't want to cry because he wanted to hear what the Rav was going to tell him. The Rav put his gentle hand on his shoulder and said, my dear friend, it's not Shabbos. Look, look all the Yidner and Shul, they're not wearing the Shabbos garments. It's not Shabbos today. But the Rebbe, why would the whole city be closed? So today's a fast day. Oi! It's a fast day and I ate! Rebbe, how did you do this to me? Why didn't you mark this down? Tell me it was a fast day. It wasn't for you. It was for us in the area because there's been no rain. And if Shalom, it doesn't rain fast, the crops will be destroyed. And then everybody's parnas will be destroyed. And then they'll have to go to the IRS and show them everything was losses. Anyway, the fellow looks at the Rav and he says, Rebbe, if there's no rain, you fast? That's ridiculous. So I said, what do you mean it's ridiculous? We, it's it's Sakonis Nefoshis. We're endangerment for the entire community. God forbid everybody will perish with no food. But why fast? <coughs> he says, you have a better idea? He says, I'll tell you the truth, Rebbe. When I don't have rain, and I see my crops need rain, I go out to the field, I pick my hands up to heaven, and I say, Rebbe, what are you doing to my crops? They need rain. And immediately it rains. <laughs> the love hears this and he says <laughs> he smiles and says you know what go ahead Tatla <coughs> be my guest and then he steps outside 
And he says, What are you doing? These people will die of hunger if you don't let it rain. You have to send rain quickly. Immediately the clouds gathered and a torrential downpour started to fall. And they were saved. And the Rav showed the tmimistikite, the sincerity of the person who looked at himself and he looks at God as his Father in Heaven. I turn, whenever I have a problem, I turn to God. But he also looked at the world around him. He also looked at everybody that's surrounding him and says, you have to take care of everybody and everything. In this week's Parsha, we talk about Shemitah, Yevil. We also talk about Rahman al-Islam, a person that gets sold as a slave. The Pasik tells us he gets released, Hu Ubanov Imai. This is chapter twenty-five, verse forty-one. Rashi cites, "If he was sold, who sold his sons?" Hello, <coughs> says Rashi. Only what does this mean? Mikan from here we derive from here in this parsha we derive that the master who bought the slave needs to support not only the slave but also his children. And he can declare them all as deductibles. Oh yeah, we're on a clock today, huh? Yeah. <laughs> now the question is, of course, this is not the first time the Taylor talks about a slave. Only a few parashas back, the Ben Chamesh, the Mikra, being very, very sharp and witty, remembers that only a few parashas back in parashas Mishpatim, <laughs> uh-oh, we got the badge. Department of Treasury. IRS. Help. 1789? I thought you were younger than that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you thought you were born in 62 or something. He's born in 1789, guys. We have to have a total different respect for him now. What do you say? In Parsh Mishpotim it says, also about selling slaves, and the Pasuk says, in chapter 21, verse 3, Chafalov Pasuk Gimel, and Rashi writes, Magida Kosov, the Posik is teaching us, Shakena Eved Ivri, person buys a Jewish slave, Chayev Bimizenais Ishtai Ubonov. He needs to support the wife and the child, children. However, here Rashi tells us only about the children. Why is Rashi deleting the wife? 
According to the explanation in Rashi, in Pashish Mishpatim, the slave was sold by Bezdin. person was brought to Bezdin for whatever reason, had to pay a debt and was sold. In our Pasha though, the slave sold himself. So the fact that a person that sells himself, excuse me, the fact that a person who buys a slave needs to support the family as well, in essence is a Kiddush. It's a total novel, it's a novel concept. Because he bought the slave, he needed a worker. And the guy needed to sell himself, so he bought him. But <laughs> who bought the family? <laughs> in the olden days, in the olden days, person, the poor people would travel from town to town, and they would barely get scraps of food. When it came Shabbos, the way they survived actually was from the Shabbos meals. How did they get a Shabbos meal? They'd come to shul, and they would stand in the back of the shul lined up by Maidiv. And after davening, the rich people would go home, the, the town people would go home, and they would take home a guest. So there was one very nice white beard, nicely dressed, didn't look like the average schnutter. But he was a guest in the town, and he wasn't staying by anybody in particular. And he stood there in the back of the shul as well. The wealthiest man in the shul noticed this man. He stood out. So he walked over to him before davening and he said to him, Rabid, you'll be my guest tonight. Figured he'll hear some nice divrei Maybe if the guy can sing, he'll hear some nice songs. At least some nice stories. Came after davening and the man comes to collect his guest. And he sees next to him is standing a young man. So he says, excuse me, uh, I invited you. Who's this? He says, oh, this, this is my son-in-law. He's living on dowry still. So I still have to pay the dowry, so I have to make sure he eats. Um... He took him with him. Uh, ultimately, Bezin sold him. So the Svara is, since he didn't want to become a slave, he didn't want to become a slave, and it's impossible for him to support his family, so we tell the master, you got to buy the family too. Makes sense. But if a person sold himself, why should the 
master have to buy the family as well. So in Pash Mishpat, when it's talking about Bezdin sold him, so Taylor writes, Yotza Ishtoy. Because it makes sense that the person buys the whole family. But over here in our parsha, when it talks about the person sold himself, the master really is chayiv to support his own master, his own servant and his family. The fact that he has to support the family, that's a novelty. Only because the Tater says that the master took upon himself to support the family. Since it says only the children and not the wife, so we see from there that the master is not really mechuyev, the master is not obligated to support the wife, only the children. A very difficult situation, the person selling themselves... person does have to sell themselves it's natural for a person to remind them sometimes if they God forbid slack off a little bit if they're not doing their thing if they're not keeping up what they have to do it's almost natural that the master would say to them uh Remember, I bought you out of the goodness of my heart. You were in trouble, and I saved you here. The Pasik tells us, Pasik Mem Aleph again, And he returns to his family and to the inheritance of his forefathers. Says Rashi, means what does it mean returns to his father's properties El Kovid Avesov the honor of his fathers you don't embarrass him <coughs> why is the Tata warning us by the person that sells himself? And not by the person that gets sold by Bezdin that you're not allowed to embarrass him. The truth is the opposite should be true. That we'd be more apt to embarrass a fellow that was sold by Bezdin because why did he get sold? Because he stole something and he couldn't pay it back. He did something wrong. So you were a nasty person, you were a thief, etc. So the person is apt to embarrass him. But why would he embarrass him if he sold himself? So the tailor should have said this din back in Mishpatim. The fact of the matter is though, a person that was sold by Bezdin because he stole... He was caught. 
He was caught stealing. He was brought to Besden, and Besden said, you have to pay it back. Now by paying back the Geneva, there's also a penalty that has to be paid back as well. You're doing tshuva. You're repenting by paying back, you're paying off the debt. You're paying back what you stole, and whatever you have to pay back on top of that. If Rachman al-Tzlani does not have the money to pay back, then he's in a stick, there's a stickle over here, and he gets sold by Bezin. At this point in time, by him getting sold, and standing through the humiliation of being caught, and being in Bezdin, and being tried, and being found guilty, and not having how to pay it back, we say that he regretted what he did, and he repented. He had charot and he did shuvah. So obviously, you obviously don't embarrass, you don't put this down. Because the Gemara tells us clearly, for those keeping score at home, Bob Metzia, Dafnun Chesam at Beis, 58, side 2, you're not allowed to remind about Shuvah, Zecher Masech Arishenim, remember those sins that you once did. So at this point in time, the fellow that was sold by Bezdin, he repented. Masha'en came the person that sells himself, because he wants to sell himself. Even though that ultimately it's because of his sins or whatever it might have been, he didn't necessarily repent. He didn't necessarily do tshuva because he got out the easy way. He sold himself. He wanted to do it. So therefore it's possible that when he gets freed, Yizalzalbe. Therefore, the Tata warns specially, but you should return him to Kavid Avesav. You return him rather to the Kavid of his forefathers. When we return, we talk further about the selling. Further in the Pasuk, Mem Zayin through Mem Tes, 47 through 49, the verses. That he should be redeemed, one of his brothers should redeem him. Or his uncle, or his cousin. Yigaleno should redeem him. Or he should buy himself out. What happened? What kind of pecking order is this? And the biggest question that I have is, you're going through the relatives, where's the father? The Torah tells us, a brother, uncle, cousins, or he himself. No mention of a father. 
father not obligated, the father not thinking about it. And even it says later, he's Siga Yodai, that if he gets his own money, if he had the money to begin with, why didn't he do it? What was he waiting for? He didn't get the money, now he's a slave. He obviously had the money somewhere. So why didn't he redeem himself to begin with? According to Chassidus, a Jew sells himself to a non-Jew till so much so that he serves idol worship refers to the neshama, the soul, that's in such a low that he's such a low spiritual level that he's taken his soul and sold it to the one of the to say it, it's sold to the devil. He can become a slave to Avedizar, one of the At this point in time, the person did such a thing and he sold himself. He gave up on his Father in Heaven. He gave up on the Father in Heaven. And therefore the concept of Abba, of Father, is no longer here. The concept of Abba sees godliness. And if the person sees godliness, he can't go down, he doesn't stoop down so low. The animal, when it walks, it looks down always. It never faces, looks up to heaven. And that's why... The story with the Gretzah, where he was put to walk on all four, and he couldn't look up to heaven, he couldn't see godliness. The human being looks up, and he sees heaven. So applying this to today's lifestyle, where the person is a slave, and the person sold himself, as a slave, especially to a non-Jew, he gave up his soul. It's not referring to the actual person that was sold to a guy, but the person that took his rights, because there are different rights of a ben, a ben Chayden and an Evet. There are different halachas that apply to a free man and to a servant. Under, under servant servitude, by the Seder even, by Pesach, and by this, there's different things that a person does that he can do that he doesn't have to do. So by not considering, and by taking out the equation, Av, therefore the Taylor refers to it, he does, tells us clearly, he doesn't mention the redemption of the Father, because he deserted the Father. He left the Father behind. But even though the person finds himself in such a situation, <coughs> he has a hard time redeeming himself. But the Taylor tells us, we guarantee you, you can. Geula <laughs> When the Taylor tells us, Geula <laughs> he will have a redemption. 
It's not in the making, it's not in the machshove. It is a guarantee from the Torah, a person can be redeemed and will be redeemed. Because a person that belongs to the Jewish nation will always be redeemed. How will he be redeemed? He's his father, he's deserted his father. There will come the inspiration, the Esarusa de la that awakening from the Maila, where God will send either through his, any one of his relatives, Kravov, any one of his relatives, and thereby will see to it that he will be redeemed. Because what does a person have to serve? A person has to serve only God. And that's why at the end it says, Because the person has to be concerned that it would not come as a gift, but rather as his own work. Out of his own thriving and striving. And this is ultimately when it talks about the servant. It talks about that the servant says, Ahaftiyus Adaini. I love my master and I don't want to leave. They take him to the doorpost and they pierce his ear. Mm-hmm. Why his ear? Rashi says, Mepharshim tell us, that same ear that heard on Sinai, he leave in Yisrael Avodim, Avodai, to me the Jews are servants, And now the person says, I want to be a slave by somebody else. Therefore, that ear is pierced. Forever. Well, there's a hole made, so it's going to stay there, obviously. It closes up. Your guy doesn't have two earrings with it. But we look at Tzmimus. We spoke about the fellow in Yerushalayim. We'll go back to the concept in the, in the wonderful, beautiful city of Yerushalayim. A recommended reading for those who like to read and like to get inspired of uh, old time stories. There's a set called Jerusalem, the Heavenly City. In Hebrew, it was written originally in Hebrew, Yerushalayim Shamayla. But it's in English, Jerusalem, the Heavenly City. It's a set of five books. Um, one, three, three, four, five. Yes, five books. And it gives you the stories of the olden days, simple Yerushalmis, simple Jews in Jerusalem, how they survived, how they built the city. One of the most profound uh, Torah scholars of, the last, of this generation, the last generation in Yerushalayim, was a Yidr of Shleim Zalman Erbach. He was a Pesach. He gave, he, many people came to him with their shilas, with their for advice, etc. And we've told stories about him. There was a tourist in Yerushalayim once. <coughs> <coughs> he came to the shul of Shleim Zalman Davin Meirev. It was the 9.30 million for Mayrev. And, oddly enough, it was 9.35, and Mayrev had not started. 
So the tourist started to get antsy. He wanted to go back to his hotel. He wanted to walk so late at night. He wanted to... And he said, why aren't we starting yet? Shlomo Zalman lifted his hand up. And he said, Yusaka, the street cleaner, has not come yet. He davens every night with his minion. And if he hasn't come yet, we have to wait. And Shlomo Zalman said, Everyone has a job. And we do the job because we have to do the job. Yisachar is a street cleaner that cleans the streets to make Yerushalayim beautiful. His whole intent of cleaning the streets is so Yerushalayim should look beautiful. He picks up big things that are in the streets, obstacles, so chas v'sholem, nobody should be hurt. Not because it's his job, not because he has inspection, and because people come and check up and look up at him, but because he wants the world, the same Shemayim, let's say it. And Shlomo Zalman said, Shlomo Zalman Leibach said, Halavai, I should do my job with the same, the same Shemayim as he does his. A similar story, there's a family in Russia, many years ago, that received for their son draft papers. Khmanulatlan to the Tsar's army, there was no getting out of it and there was no getting away coming back alive. And if he came back alive fifteen, twenty years, it was very, very unlikely he'd be still a from Jew. So they ran immediately to the Menachemendel Vitebsk. They ran to the Vitebsk and they said to him, What do we do? Our son received papers. So the Mandel Vitebsk looked at the boy and said, You know, he's a strapping looking fellow. Good looking kid. I'm sure he'll make a fine soldier. Parents were mortified. But he's not leaving that to the army. Let him go sit and learn Tata. But he should learn really with a true burn for Tata. <clears throat> no. The family was not exactly excited to hear this that he was the Rebbe wasn't telling them he's not gonna go to the army. Not giving a brachi he shouldn't go. But if anything saying yeah he should go. And um they were quite perturbed. Bayin, the boy sat down and he really started to learn Bishkida Asmada. The day of the draft, the boy was going to go to the army and present himself. And the boy was sitting there learning and he said to himself, if they need me, they'll come and get me. I have to learn. I, why should I waste time walking there? This, not, Let them come and get me. They want to come and get me, they'll get me. And he continued sitting and learning. And that week went by. And the next month went by. The problem the boy had in that book, that is, he was always 
traumatized about the concept of the door one day swinging open and they should remember that he never showed up at the army. But Devaila, he was blissful, he was sitting and learning Teda, basking in the Kedusha of Teda, and he's learning. No. Five years go by, and that dreaded day happens. The doors burst open, and two really official looking soldiers come inside. Where is this boy? Shalom Zalmanovich, whatever his name was. The boy realized his time is up. And he stood up. He said, I am the boy. Guys walked over. And then one guy took out of a box of metal. And he said, The Tsar said that you are such a beautiful, fantastic soldier. He wants to present you with this medal. And he gives him the medal, he puts it around his neck. The other guy says, and the Tsar personally thanks you, and he gives a written letter from the Tsar thanking him for his service in the, in the army. <coughs> no. As soon as they left, the fellow ran to the Nachmedal Vitebsk to tell him what happened. So the what are you surprised? I told you to be a good soldier. I met a good soldier in Hashem's army. He was a good soldier in Hashem's army, and the Tsar recognized it and gave a cook. We need to be soldiers in Hashem's army. And this week's Pasha tells us about this. Shnas Hashviz Kam Shmita Bechisem Ruma Neichal Bashana Hashviz As you will say inevitably a person will think and say if we're not going to work in the seventh year what will we eat? We're not planting we're not gathering our our wheat Says Hashem, the Almighty tells us with Sivisi as Birchosi Lachem, Bashana Ashishis. In the sixth year, I will bestow upon you the blessing, and this will be enough for the seventh. But not only for the seventh, but for the eighth as well. Because if you didn't work in the seventh, in the 8th, you're not gathering any wheat either. So in the 8th, you could start working on your field again, but bottom line, you had nothing growing. According to another problem that we could come up with, is Shnatsayevil. in the 50th year, you have the sixth year you worked, the seventh year was Shemitah, and the eighth year was Yevil. You didn't work for two years. The Almighty says everything will be under control. The world has an X amount of years that it can exist. We discussed once, Pashavetz Hanon, to what year the world can exist without Mashiach. 
When the world is referred to as Sheshes Hashanim, the sixth, the millennium, sixth millennium, as we are now in 5,774, in the sixth millennium, It refers to the sixth, referred before the seventh, before the Shemitah. The six thousand years of the existence of the world, and Shnasa Shemitah is the seventh thousand, which comes afterwards. If you want to check this out in the Shas, those keeping score at home, Masech the Sanhedrin, Tzadik Zayin Amr Aleph, 97, side 1. So the question becomes here that the Jew asks, I don't see myself now in the sixth millennium being really, really so spiritual, such a high level that I can deal with Mashiach. We're in a very, very lowly state. And therefore, what will we be able to add? What will we be able to eat when it comes to the year, the time of Mashiach? The Gemara asks, for those keeping score at home, Masech Des Yevomas, Lamed Tess Amed Beis, 39, side 2, Yichshadarei, how is it possible with our lowly things that we do spiritually that we'll be able to eat in the seventh year? So therefore we look at the continuity of the Psukim, the continuation. The guarantee that I will command my blessing if the Jews will do whatever they can, even though it's not exactly apropos for the seventh millennium, it's not apropos for the Mashiach times, I will give my blessing within this special blessing, that through this they will be able to bring about the Geula. So should it actually be. We discussed Perik Shlishi, Perikiyavis. The Belozish Bartesa, a seventh mission, the seventh mission of Perikiyavis, has a very interesting lesson to us as well. The Belozish Bartesa Imer. Ten lay Mishalei. Who? Again. Is he still here? Tell him, Mishalei, give him, which is his, Sha'ata Mishalach Shalei. For you and whatever is yours are his. The Chaim Bidavidu, Amen, it says by Davidu Melech. 
That it's all from you and from his own hand he's giving you. Then the Mishnah changes speeds. Someone goes on the road. What do you have there? A person walking on the street and he's learning and he stops learning. And he says, How beautiful is this tree? How beautiful is this plowed field? The Taylor considers it as if he's guilty of a mortal sin. First, Rabbi Lazish Batesa is telling us how we need to dedicate our entire life to the learning of Taylor. And every mitzvah that we do, we need to take fully through with it. For example, giving tzedakah. Everyone has to give maiser. Many people feel very proud when they give their maiser. That's not the way to go. The Mishnah teaches us to perform these deeds with humility. The mere fact that you have this much maiser to give away is because God gave it to you. The person accepting the Maiser does not have yet. And therefore you can give that person the Maiser. <clears throat> you can give them the charity. Because that is God's way of putting it from one place to the other. And that's why the Mishnah says that from your own we have given you. The people gave to the Beis HaMikdash, for the construction of the Beis HaMikdash. Then the Mishnah takes another turn. Rabbi Yaakov says, I'm Rabbi Yaakov, there are some places, places that the Mishnah does not say in Pekiyavis, I'm Rabbi Yaakov. It says, I'm Rabbi Shimon Bayechai. You hear this? Not everywhere we see, not every Girsa of Pirkeyavis does it say that Yaakov Amen. There are some that says Rabshirim Bayechai says. The problem is Rabshirim Bayechai lived Teda. He breathed Teda. He was Tedosay Umnosay. His whole occupation, the Gemara in Shabbos, where you keep your score at home, Yeralaf Amralaf says, Tedosay Umnosay. So to present this version through Rabbi Shimon Bayechai, you're telling me something that a person who lived Teda, so obviously he always spoke words of Teda. But Pirkei Avis is middle of the Chassidusa. It's words of Chassidus. <coughs> Therefore it takes the name Rabbi Yaakov who says, not necessarily, was somebody 
that was always so indulgent, Ada. And aside for which, a person, Yumara tells us, Halacha tells us, when you go on the street, you need to concentrate where you're walking. And therefore, you can't get involved in a very deep thought of Teda, but rather it should just be words of repetition that you're rechazering something that you've already learned. And therefore, Rabbi Shimon was a total different level for him to say such words. So when he interrupts this and he says how beautiful this tree is, although a person has to say and appreciate God's greatness, but the person cannot interrupt study Taylor for that. And therefore, what does the person say? Instead of saying, look how gorgeous that tree is, look how gorgeous the waterfall is, look how gorgeous the field is, whatever it is, the person should say, Marabu Masecha Hashem. How great is the work of God. And therefore, and thereby, the person lives within the realm of his work and words of Tata that he is saying. Interesting on Tafyutesa Medbez and Seita, very, very quick thought on Seita. Amr Abi Akiva. Kulum Anutzichim El Libetka. We need nothing to inspect her. Vale Biduka Vaymedes El Adj Dekarav Hakemet Sichel Lakhzilba. Until the actual mincha was put together, there was still time for her to retract. Everything can be retracted. Once it's been put, the handful has been put, and the mincha has been presented, she can no longer retract. And this shows us Rabbi Akiva said and held the shitasai that a person has to always think positive. And even the last second, the person can always retract and do tshuva. And therefore, as we are holding now, in the last seconds of Golos, as we are preparing for the first moments of Geula, therefore we need to see to it that we jump this Shabbos from the 6th to the 7th, and that Mashiach indeed reveals himself to us in a very, very kind fashion, and says, Anovim, Anovim, I see how much you've done, I see with the tools that you had, how much you accomplished, I appreciate it, and therefore, and it should be this very Shabbos, that we should hear and read the Torah, in Yerushalayim, Shabbat Shalom to all. Amen.